for this morning. Um, if you have uh, been involved in what's going on this week with some people, sometimes life feels like a punch in the gut. You know, we've got an 11-year-old girl struggling with cancer, uh, taken to Oakland, Annika Pierce, uh, you know, in the Manser family. Uh, we've had others with cancer scares, tumor scares, a tumor removed. Uh, you know, Zach had a tumor removed a couple days ago. It looks like it's cancer-free, but they don't know for sure yet, but it looks that way. But it's just been one of those weeks that it's just like life just kicks you. Uh, and it's been other things as well. Those are two examples, but other things. And, and Katie, right there, you're here, Katie. Zach's here. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, uh, Anyway, glad you guys are here. Um, Katie was telling me just, just the other day, she said, you know, it was just the 31st as we were starting out the year and you, you taught on how to thrive in 2018. And you, you started out by saying, did, did so-and-so expect to be sick? Did so-and-so expect to be that? We don't know what to expect in 2018. And now two weeks in, there's some serious punches to the gut. Um, but the point is, we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know who's going with us. And so that's how we can thrive in the midst as we know that it's Jesus Christ going with us through these things if we belong to him, if we walk with him. And this morning, you know, every Sunday morning I, I go to either McDonald's or Starbucks and get some food and coffee and I, I go back through what I'm going to teach and I pray over it. And this morning I, I, I took a time out and pushed it across and I almost changed completely what we were going to teach on. I almost went... I felt like I'd lead, maybe I need to teach on suffering. I need to teach on why would God allow suffering for his people? But he told me no, but just address it now. But what has stuck out to me over this week is why does God allow these things? And I think there's two big reasons why God allows suffering among his people. One, to bring him glory. To bring him glory. These who have been going through this are all in the same outpost group. This group started out a couple years ago. The first time David and Laura started to lead a group, it didn't go because nobody signed up for it. it. You know, we were early on. But that group has then formed and become strong and a strong knit group, loving one another and wanting to serve their community. It's a great group. And so the enemy's going to attack that group because they're on mission for God. And the enemy's going to go, I'm going to, I don't like that. I'm going to get in the way of that. So why would God allow that? And here's where I, I think, this is my opinion and, and Bible back in some of that is God looks at them and goes, they can handle it and I'm going to be glorified. So he's going to let them go through this to glorify himself through it. The other reason maybe he allows these things is to teach somebody something. To teach somebody something, again, for his glory. But maybe it's to teach how to go through fear. Because you know what? True faith doesn't mean when you're going through that, you're like, oh, I'm not afraid. No, it means this, this is scary. But I trust who's going with and we can go through it. And then you can use that for others. Or maybe, you know, it's to teach faith or whatever it is, but God could use it. Uh, David shared with me this week, while in Oakland, sitting there in the waiting room, he had the chance to pray with another mother whose kid is in there having cancer. And he said it was, she said that was just the right time. That he was sitting there aware, not just of what's going on with him and his kid, but somebody else. And God blessed that person and blessed him for being available. So God can use these things if we're willing. And so I wanted to, to just start with this and go, getting involved with kingdom work, joining a group like we're talking about, doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything's going to go your way. It doesn't mean you're going to be healthy, wealthy, all that stuff. But it does mean that God's going to work in you and through you. And if you allow him, he will give you comfort and peace in the process and he will glorify himself and bless you in it. It might not always look like what we want but that's what he's going to do. Let me pray, and we'll get into our passage in Colossians. Father, we trust you. 
We believe that this Bible is true. We believe every word in it is true, that you had written, that Jesus, you are the Son of God. You, you came to give your life for us. We believe, as you write in Romans, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We believe that. And we believe that you work through your people, not around them. And we believe you're among us. Holy Spirit, I know you're here. You're working, you're stirring hearts, and I know that the enemy wants to come at us. And we trust you. The Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You are greater. You created everything. There is no other God. There is no other creator. We love you. We trust you. We thank you. And we ask you, please, to intervene. All of our hearts right now going to you in one, asking you to heal. Heal Annika. Glorify yourself by healing her miraculously. Let it be one of those things where the doctors lift up their hands and go, I don't get it. For your glory, God, we trust you. We know you can do it, but also we know that if you don't, you have a reason and we can trust that. But we ask you to, we want you to work there. We want you to touch her and heal her. God, I pray for Zach, that that tumor that they removed, that they'll look at that and go, no big deal. You know, uh, hold back on whatever it is you're eating here or there, but, but that it's not cancer. God, that that, that that fear that goes around with that would turn into faith. God, confidence in you that that would be nothing. And God, I pray for the other things going on, the ones we know about and the ones we don't, that you would heal, that you would intervene in this room right now, in this body, that you would step in and intervene for your glory and for the blessing of your people. You love us and we know it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series. People don't change, do they? Because we're starting out the year, and in the new year, it's a time to do resolutions. And I was listening to a, a newscast this week and a study done, and, and the truth is that now nine out of all 10 resolutions by this time of the year, they've already passed. You've already failed on them. And so the question is, how can we actually experience real life change? And I was thinking, I'm a Bronco fan. Okay, a couple claps. Okay. I, I, I enjoy football. You know, if there was hockey shown here, I might be a hockey fan, but it's not. There isn't. So I enjoy football. And the two teams I will follow are the Broncos and the 49ers. Both teams this year, I know, <laughs> both teams had a big struggle over this past year with quarterbacks, a really important position with quarterbacks. The Broncos rotated through three, like maybe this one, maybe this one, maybe this one. They're all fired. Uh, hopefully, maybe. I don't know. But, but they had a quarterback issue. The 49ers, same thing. They're losing, losing, losing. They don't have a quarterback. And then they get Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots back up to Tom Brady. He comes over, and they've won every game he's played, I think. Yes, yeah. yes they've won every game he's played. <laughs> yes, okay, we've got some 49er fans. <laughs> they've won every game. But here's what's interesting. They brought in Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots to the 49ers, but he didn't play for two or three weeks. Like, this is their big guy. They're paying money for him. They want to know, is he the future next year? They're going to have to pay him a lot of money if they want to keep him. But he didn't play the first one or two games. And I turned on to watch the game. I'm like, I don't want to watch if he's not playing. The reason he wasn't playing was he needed to learn a new system. He needed to learn a new playbook because he went from the Patriots, took off that gross jersey, and he put on a new <laughs> jersey. He became part of a new team with a new playbook that he had to learn before he could get in the game. In many ways, the Christian life is just like that. That when we go from being a non-believer to a believer, we put on a new jersey. And it says Jesus on it. <laughs> we put on a, we're on a new team, which is part of the church. And we get a new playbook, which is the Bible. 
and a new way of doing life. And so, so God says, you want to experience life change? I have a way for it to happen. You're on a new team now. There's a new way to do it. The problem is a lot of times we become a Christian and we don't know how to do it. And so we go back to our old way of doing things. We use old standards. We use the old playbook of the world to go, I'm going to pursue wealth selfishly. I'm going to pursue fame, fortune, power, pleasure. Those are kind of the things. I'm going to pursue these things and maybe use God to get there. Rather than going by the new playbook with the new jersey on the new team. Today, the title of the message is A New Internal Compass. As we're looking at how life change happens, how can we actually flourish, experience joy and peace and love in this life until we get to the end and, and experience real glory at the end? But how can we experience that now? And I think we're supposed to. And I like the word flourish. How can we flourish? And we're going to see how to do that as we look in Colossians. So turn with me, if you would, please, to Colossians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, open it. If you don't, there's one in the, the grate underneath the seat in front of you or under you. Grab one of those. Open up your cell phone or your iPad, whatever it is. But look at Colossians 3. We're going to look at four verses, and we're going to kind of bounce around. So it'll be helpful for you to have it open in front of you because we're going to look at this and that and there. Um, but what we started with last week, we said if you want to flourish in life, if you want to experience life change and do it differently, here's the things that the world would say work, but they don't. And we need to acknowledge those. And last week, we looked at three big things from the end of Colossians 2. Religion, by the way, here in a church, religion doesn't work. You're not going to experience real life change or flourishing through religion. And religion is, is following a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts in order to make God like you more, in order to appease God, because re religion won't work because Jesus already did all of that. It can't be up to you because it's up to Jesus. So religion doesn't work. The other thing we saw was mysticism doesn't work. Chasing a spiritual experience, whether it's in the church or outside the church, chasing an experience isn't going to work because that experience, that feeling isn't always going to be there. And when it's not, you can fall away. Life change, real life change doesn't happen through chasing experiences. And then the last one was asceticism, kind of a weird word, but... but Asceticism views the body as, as bad and the spirit as good. And so you, you treat the body bad and that's good for the spirit. You don't eat certain foods. You know, you, you don't drink certain things. You do all this stuff uh, because that's going to make you better. You, you take a vow of poverty. Those things, that's asceticism, that God's going to approve of you more just because of those things. That doesn't work either. And that's not a big thing in our culture, but it does exist. Today, we're going to look at God uh, through Paul sharing the beginning of how can life change actually take place. That's the old playbook. We're throwing that away, right? Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't walk around the locker room with the Patriots playbook. Maybe he does. He's like, check this one out. But he's not supposed to. He probably signed something. But he doesn't use that playbook anymore. Just like us, we get rid of the old playbook and now we're going to look at a new one. So let's read Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Paul writes this. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the beginning of what we're looking at. How can you experience real life change? Do you, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, maybe a brand new one, maybe you're not. 
but you've got things in your life. An addiction, alcoholism. We could go through the list. Uh, uh, anger issues, whatever it is. You've got all these things. How can you get through those? Here's how it starts. Look at this, these verses. It starts with your identity. It starts with who you are. And we see that over and over. If, if, you, uh, if you have a Bible and you're okay with writing in it, and I'm okay with writing in it, point, I, I did this in my Bible. I pointed to, in verse 1, identity. Boom. If then you have been raised with Christ. I pointed to that. Here's who you are, raised with Christ. We're going to get into this, but that points to who you are. You're raised. You're alive, not dead anymore. You're alive with Christ. And then you see it elsewhere. You see uh, verse 3, for you have died. So you've died to something. That's part of your identity, who you are. So I, I wrote identity. I pointed to that. And then uh, later in that same verse, it says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's something else about who you are. Your life is hidden with Christ. We're going to explain that. That's your identity. And then we see your future identity. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. This verse is really wrapped all around. There is some things to do we're going to look at. But first, he's talking about all about who you are in Jesus. And he, explain, he begins it in verse 1. He says, if you have been raised with Christ. That if could be translated since. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to a church. And he's assuming they're all saved. They're all believers. But we need to address that first because the fact is not all of us are. And, and many of us probably think we are, but maybe we're not. And so here's the first thing. If, if you have been raised, if you're a Christian, means you've been born again. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said, talking to Nicodemus, a very religious person, very, very religious person, who later was saved. He said, you have to be born again. He's like, born again? He's like, how can I enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? He said, no, no, it's a spiritual birth. You need to be born again, made new. Something has to happen. There's a sin problem that separates us from God. We were born sinners, then we chose to sin. That separated us from God. God had to deal with that. Jesus died on the cross to cover that sin, to deal with it, and we have to trust him. We have to stop working for it, realize we're a helpless and hopeless sinner, and go, I need a savior, that's Jesus Christ, and then give our life to him. At that point, we're converted. So in order to experience life change, a person must first be converted. If you're coming to Jesus going, I want him to be another help. You know, horoscopes are good. This is good. I'm going to pursue success in life and get gratification there. And Jesus will be part of it. You're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. Jesus isn't an add-in to your life. You have to be converted as in Jesus is your life. He says that right here in these verses. Jesus, who is your life? That's what it means to be converted. So I'm going to start asking this. When were you converted? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your identity changes at that moment. When did that happen for you? If you don't know, you need to think about that. When did that happen? When did you realize I'm helpless and hopeless? When did you realize and believe Jesus while well, you are the son of God? You did die on the cross and you rose from the dead. When did you believe that? Because it starts there. Again, a lot of times we, we try and move past that and just get the tools that Jesus offers, but they're no good to us really for real life change. It starts with being changed from the inside out. When did that happen? I read a quote this week that, that made me stop from a pastor somewhere out east. He says this, the church is in trouble 
That's what they say anyways. The problem is most of what we call the church is not the church. And the church is not quite as in trouble as everybody thinks. That got my attention. I got looking at that. As a matter of fact, the church today is absolutely beautiful. She is glorious. She is humble. She is broken. She is confessing her sin. The problem is that what everybody is calling church today isn't the church. Basically, by and large, what's called the church today is nothing more than a bunch of unconverted church people with unconverted pastors. Paul Washer wrote that. And I, I, I read that and I stopped and I went, yeah, <laughs> I think that is the issue. Why, why are Christians not experiencing the Christian life? Maybe they haven't been converted. Maybe they haven't actually surrendered to Jesus. Maybe the, a lot of people you ask, are you a Christian? They'll say, yes. Are you saved? Yes. Why? I go to church. That's not it. You can go to church your whole life. You could give generously. You can do all that. But if you haven't turned your life over to Christ, it's not going to do. It begins with turning your life over to Christ, letting him convert you, surrendering. The Bible makes it clear. Jesus did everything on the cross. He took your sin. He lived perfectly. God in flesh lived perfectly, died a horrible death on the cross. Then he rose from the dead three days later. Your job in that whole salvation thing, belief. So the Bible says, the most consistent thing we see in the Bible is your job is belief. Not going to church. Going to church is good. Not giving. Giving is good. Not doing all these other things. It's belief in Jesus. But here's the thing about belief biblically. Belief is synonymous with faith. Biblically, belief means not just you believe about something, but you believe in something. It's like, like this stool. I can look at this stool and go, I believe this is made of wood. I believe it uh, is firm. I believe it will hold me. Biblical belief is I'm going to sit on the stool knowing it will hold me. I'm going to trust that this stool, that's biblical faith. That's biblical belief. And that's your part. Sitting on the stool, trusting Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's where life begins. Then we can get to the rest. Then we can get to the rest. But take a minute. Have you been converted? Have you trusted Jesus Christ with your life? Or has he been an add-in? Has he been an add-in? But now we can look at what happens. Here's what happens after conversion. Something miraculous happens. It says this, uh, if you have been raised with Christ, here's what happens at conversion. You're raised from the dead. Everybody, you and me included, this isn't some pride thing. We're alive and everybody else is dead. No, no, we were all dead. Bible's clear, dead in our sins and trespasses. Dead, dead, dead. What can a person do about their deadness? Nothing. But you were raised miraculously. Jesus intervened, raised you from the dead. If you have been raised with Christ, this is explained very well in chapter two. Look over with me at chapter two, verses 12 to 14. He says this, having been buried with him in baptism, meaning you were converted and you were baptized into water symbolically of what happened spiritually, having been buried with him in baptism, symbolic of your death, in which you were also raised with him through faith, that's belief, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven all of our trespasses. This is who you are. You're no longer dead. You don't have to walk in sin. You don't have to be dominated by the world anymore because you're now alive. You're now alive. And here's something else. W what does it say 
about our identity. We're alive now and our lives are what? Hidden with Christ in God. So, so here's, here's what I think is useful about that. Are we perfect? When you were converted, did you go, I don't have any sinful cravings anymore. Yes. You know, everything. No, because we're still in these bodies. We still deal with sin. But here's the fact. So put up your finger with me. Everybody do this, please. This is you. This is you. This is your life. And all of your sinfulness, all the things you know that nobody else knows about that's still going on, that's you. Your life is hidden with Christ. Your other hand, this is Jesus. Covers you. Perfection. Perfection, purity. So God looks and what does he see? He sees Jesus, not you. You, you know you. I know me. And I'm so glad Jesus covers me. And that's what God is looking at. God is looking at Jesus. That's who you are. So you don't have to walk in guilt and shame and fear because you're covered, hidden with Jesus Christ in God. That's who you are. That's your identity. Our life is in Jesus. There's some cultures that believe that it's called a life token, that your life force can be attached to a, an item, a thing. It's called a life token. Uh, that's not real popular in the States. But what they'll do, I think there's like a ceremony that attaches their life force to this token. And then they have to protect that token, whatever that is. They protect it because their life is attached. And as long as that's safe, their life is safe. To a certain extent, that is our life hidden in Christ. It's like there is this token, whatever it is, there's this token that is your life and Jesus is holding it. Jesus, right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's holding that token, which is your life. And as long as he holds it, you're good. You're secure. Doesn't mean you're not gonna go through pain and suffering. Doesn't mean there might not be cancer, but it does mean it's in his will, and he's got it, and all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He's got it. So he's holding your life is hidden with Christ. So do we walk in stress and fear and anxiousness? No. Do we experience that at sometimes? Absolutely. And then we go back to my life is hidden with Christ. I can trust him. I can trust him and give it to him. That's our identity. But then something else happens. We're told to do two things in these verses. Based on who we are, you can't jump over that. Based on who you are in Christ, you do two things. One, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek. The second thing is in verse two, set your minds on things that are above. We're told to do two things. You want to experience real life change, be converted, recognize your identity, then seek Jesus and think Jesus. Here, here's what we are given when we're converted. Any kids know what this is? What is this? It's not an iPod. <laughs> what is it? It's a compass. What's a compass used for? What, do you know? Well, what is it? What's it used for? Now she's embarrassed. You're, I, I'm embarrassed too. It's okay. It's, well, see, we have GPS on our phones now, so we don't need these things anymore. We can just go, I want to go so, and it, and it tells us. Back in the olden days, these were used to find direction. This, this tells me where north is. Yeah, something like that. They, yeah, when dinosaurs roam the earth, the way the dinosaurs got around, they, they used a compass. Now, a compass gives direction. It shows you where to go. What if you have a broken compass? If you have a broken compass, you're going to think you're going the right direction, and you're going the wrong direction. Imagine a sailor with a broken compass trying to go to a destination. They're getting farther and farther away from where they want to be 
every day. Life before Christ, we have a broken compass. We think things sound good. The world gives us things. I'm going to pursue that. That sounds good. What's a broken compass? Oh, I'm going to go that way. You're getting farther away from what you really want. Real life flourishing is only found in Jesus. And so when you're converted, you get a new compass, a new internal compass in you that points to Jesus. Do you always follow it? No. But instead of coming to Jesus to get what we want, we come to Jesus and he changes what we want and, and then he gives us that. When we really are converted, then we love God more than us. We want his glory more than ourselves. Perfectly? No. But now I want his glory. So do I, if I go through pain and it glorifies you, I'm okay with that. that that's weird. That's different. To give up my money for the blessing of somebody else, eh, that's weird. A compass changes, an internal compass changes. That's what happens when we convert it. That's what happens when we're made new. When the Holy Spirit enters us, we have a new compass. But here's the thing about living in these bodies still. We can take this compass and we can put it in our back pocket. We can choose to go, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that rather than pulling it out. I think what these verses are saying is if you're converted, since you're converted, take out your compass and use it. Seek the things that are above. Seek Jesus. Seek him. That word seek, that is no passive term. That is an ambitious pursuit of something. We don't become Christians and then start going to church and go, this is cool. <laughs> now I'm comfortable. This church is going to serve my needs. When we have something going on in life, they'll bring us meals. That's great. That's a great part of being in the church. But this verse means seek, means boldly move forward, ambitiously pursue something different. Pursue Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, meaning there are new desires and ambitions. No longer is it fame, fortune, power, pleasure. Now it's God's glory. It's blessing others. It's our usefulness to him. It's things like that. It's purity in ourselves. These are the things now we pursue, but we have to pursue them. We have to go after it. We have to allow him to change our desires. I was at camp years ago, and youth camp, and I remember sitting there with a high school kid. After chapel, he stayed back, and he said, I believe in Jesus. I want to give my life to him. And I said, how are you feeling right now? He said, I'm so scared. I said, why are you scared? He said, because I want this for my life. But I'm afraid that if I give my life to Jesus, he's going to tell me not that, something else. And I still want that. I'm like, man, you get it. You might be right. I couldn't tell him, no, you still get to do that. I said, you might be right. Is he worth it? I said, yeah, he's worth it. He's worth it. So then, converted, it's worth it to pursue him, even though it might change what we want to do. Then we seek, we pursue him. This is the same word that's used elsewhere. When Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Ye, I memorized, I guess, King James when I was a kid. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The situation was people were worried about what they were going to eat, what they were going to eat, or, or where, uh, where they were going to sleep, all those things. You ever worry about that stuff? Maybe not as much as other cultures, but we think about those things. He said, stop worrying about that stuff. Instead, seek my kingdom, seek my righteousness, seek my glory first, and I'll give you that stuff. Do the birds outside, do they worry about what they're going to eat? No, I provide for them. There may be bugs and weeds, 
but I provide for them. He'll provide for us too. So there's this change. And now we seek him. We're willing to maybe give up some things, seeking after what he would want for us. This seeking includes some of obedience. It includes looking at the things in our life that maybe we've wanted to seek and giving that up. This word seek is a present imperative. It means that it's happening right now and all the time. You don't start seeking him just when you're converted, when you give your life. You have to seek him all the time. You're looking for what he would do. I think David in that waiting room is a good example. He's there and he's seeking what God would do it for his kingdom. Here's somebody else hurting. I'm going to scoot over and talk to him. I'm going to scoot over and say, how can I pray for you? That's seeking God in his kingdom, in his, his glory. Seeking him, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking it includes financial giving. Bible's clear that his followers are to be generous and sacrificial givers. Part of seeking is obeying the things you know. Are there aspects in your life that you're going, like a, a house, picture a house, and there's a room or two that you're like, you know, God, you have access to all this, but not that. You know, my money that's behind that door, I'm going to do what I want with my money. My kids, they're behind that door. I'm not giving you my kids. Not, you know, that, that's my, will we trust him with everything? Will we open that up and go, okay, I don't fully get it, but I'm going to follow you. I had a good friend many, many years ago just saying, I'm, I'm not feeling God. You know, God's not blessing us. Things aren't, basically just struggling with his spiritual, he wasn't flourishing. I asked him a question. I said, how's your giving? He's like, we can't afford to give right now. I went, that's why you're not flourishing. He was a good friend, so I could say that. I said, that's, that's where it's falling short. I said, how much are you paying for that car? 500 bucks a month? You got cable? Your house is too big for your family. Yes, you can. You, you're choosing to pursue these worldly things because you think this is what you want and, you, and you're suffering for it. Instead, pursue God and his things first. Give even, even if it hurts. When it's first, I've talked to many that have experienced that. We can't afford to give, but then they do and they still make their budget and then they're blessed for it. Again, I'm not saying that to guilt you into giving, but that's God's way is that we walk in obedience and we get blessed for that. It's kind of like a linebacker running down a running back with the ball. You know, are they going to be back there and they hand off the ball and they're like, I hope he runs my way. Then I'll tackle him. They run him down. That's us pursuing Jesus Christ. We run him down. Where are you going, Jesus? That way? Me too. I'm going that way. How, how does life change happen? We believe very clearly life change happens in community around the word. That's why we, we start with outpost groups. We don't have a bunch of programs here. Because we don't think programs create real life change in general. We think relationships around the Bible create life change. So we create these groups. And then we go, run them down. Go get there and get in a group with other people trying to run Jesus. There's nothing better than sitting around some, with somebody else and they go, here's my struggles. And you get to share the struggles. And you get to talk about how God is showing up. And one person says, this is going on in my life. I have this person at work. They're just abusing me. They're taking advantage of me. They're slandering me. And the others go, here's what the Bible says about that. Can you do that? No. Well, let's pray for you. Let's, let's help you. That's seeking God. That's pursuing him ambitiously. And the second one is think about Jesus. Seek Jesus and think Jesus. Seeking means this. I think this is a good definition. Seeking means that we see to it that our interests are centered on Christ that our attitudes, ambitions, and whole outlook on life are molded by Christ's relation to us 
and that our allegiance to him takes precedence over all earthly allegiances. We don't pursue Jesus to be better. We pursue Jesus and he makes us better, if that makes sense. Why does he have to give us this command? You think if somebody's made new, they're just naturally going to do this. But we have to acknowledge the fact that we are still human. We still live in this flesh, and there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. So he gives us us this command to go, yes, you may be saved and still run this way. Use the wrong compass or go the wrong direction, or you have a broken compass, whatever. Rather, we know this is part of life and accept it. Don't wallow in guilt when you struggle going the wrong way. Come back to Jesus and go, I made a mistake, and go his way. He gives us this instruction because he knows we're going to fall short. We need help, and that's okay. But think Jesus. What does he mean there? Pursue Jesus, seek Jesus, and think Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think shine some light on this command. How do you, how do you think Jesus? It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen, do not be conformed to this world. Let me... Again, we can be. We're tempted to go use the old Patriots playbook. No, no. New team, new jersey, new leader, new God, new family, new playbook. New playbook. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means changed. Like a caterpillar to a butterfly. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That includes your heart. It's your heart and your mind. Let that be renewed that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let Jesus dominate your thinking, your heart. Think Jesus. Dwell on your identity. So when when somebody at work or whatever, you see stuff on Facebook and and you just start having these these self-doubts. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as other people. Time out. Think Jesus. How does God look at me? Okay, my life hidden with him. He loves me. He accepts me. He's made me holy. He's adopted me. I'm a son or daughter of the king. That's who I am. My life is secure in him. Think Jesus. Let the way he looks at you be the way you look at you. Think Jesus. Dwell on him. Think about the cross. Think about the effects of Jesus on the cross. That the power of sin over you has been broken. Can you give into it? Yes, but that's not who you are anymore. You don't have to. Think about that. You start feeling fear and guilt shame. Think about future. Future, guess what? I'm going to be glorified with him forever. This is temporary. Think the things that are above. Think Jesus. Think his kingdom. Think his way. Pursue him. Think him. Barclay writes this. There will be this difference. From now on, the Christian will see everything in light, in the light, and against the background of eternity. This is really helpful. The Christian made new. Using this new compass, there will be this difference. From now on, the Christian will see everything in the light and against the background of eternity. So am I suffering? Are you suffering? Time out. Why might I go through this? God wants to glorify himself through this. Okay, eternity. Here's this person over here. Maybe they need Jesus. I'm suffering so that they can find Jesus. Okay, I'm going to enter into that. Maybe, maybe God wants to teach me something to make me more useful to him. Maybe my future joy 
and peace and usefulness is dependent on me learning the lesson right now. So I'm going through this suffering rather than woe is me. Jesus, I'm going to thank you. What do you want to teach me? What, what do you need to change in me right now? You can. I'm clay in your hands. Change me, mold me. Let me think your way so I'm more useful to you. Think, Jesus, there will be this difference, he says. From now on, the Christian will see everything in the light and against the background of eternity. Now, real quick, I want to address our motivation. What is our motivation? To seek Christ and to think Christ. Because there's two given in this passage. The first one is in verse 3. We already talked about it. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's motivation right there. Because your life is hidden with Christ. You're secure. Your motivation to do it isn't to earn. It's because you already are. It's not to be right with God. It's because you are right with God. You're secure. So your response is a loving response to his love first. That's our motivation. The second motivation we see is in the last verse, verse four. When Christ, who is your life, by the way, if you haven't gotten that yet, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Do you know that? When he appears, he's coming back and we can debate what the end looks like. We can debate that for days and days and days. When's Jesus coming back? What's it look like? Who cares? He's coming back. And when he does, we know this, we're coming with him. Is it when he comes back, we, write, we go up, we're changed, made new, and we come back right then? Who cares? When he comes back, we're coming with him. He's going to be riding this beautiful white horse with this beautiful robe, and guess who's going to be on a horse next to him? You and me. New bodies that don't suffer anymore. New minds and hearts that don't want the world's things. I cannot wait. That's motivation now to seek him, to thank him, because that's secure. Not to earn that glory in the end, but because that's going to be yours. And it's not your glory. It's Jesus's glory onto you. It's going to be awesome. We are motivated to pursue Jesus. This is in your notes if you care. Because our lives are secure in him. And when Jesus returns, we will be glorified with him. This pursuit is a loving response in line with who we are in Jesus this pursuit is not in order to earn a right standing with God. We pursue Jesus because we are right. Again, not in order to be right with God. Philippians 3 talks about our future glory. 3.20, it says, For our citizenship present, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body, physical body, of our humble state into conformity with the body, of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Meaning he has all the power. He's going to glorify you. First John three, two beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's our motivation. What he has earned for us already. That's our motivation. What's our application? What he just wrote. Ambitiously pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus, think Jesus. What rooms in your house, you know, of your soul, have you closed to him? Open them. Let him in there. And start being obedient to what you know. Pursue him. And I would say this, part, part of that pursuit would be getting into relationships. We have several things coming. We have our discovery dinner. We, we already mentioned that this Wednesday, I think a valuable part of 
the Christian life is being involved with the church. And if this isn't the church for you, there are other good churches in our valleys. And if this isn't the church for you, guess what? I'm not offended. Come talk to me. If you want help finding one, I'll help you. Because for, for your growth, for your benefit, for your usefulness, you need to be involved in a church. So this, this Wednesday, we have our Discovery Dinner. Going to have some good food right here in this room and talk about how we came about, where we think God's leading us, and how God might want you to be involved. And at the end of that, you may go, I want to be part of this. This is the place where you might go, you know what? I think God might be calling us somewhere else. And that's okay too. And we can help you with that. The other thing, if you're going to pursue Jesus' relationships, if you're not already in a nice knit group of believers going through this life together, pursuing him, get in one of our outpost groups. You know, we already told you all the ways you can sign up. You can text group to some numbers listed somewhere. Um, <laughs> that's somewhere. If, it might be in your bulletin. Or, or go to the back and see Kelsey. She's got a computer right there. And you go, I want to be in a group. But life change, life change best takes place in community around the word. God uses his Bible, the word. God uses his people. The Holy Spirit goes directly. Our job, chase him. Take advantage of those opportunities. Whatever that is, whatever opportunities he throws your way, take them. Take them and be obedient. Let me pray. Father in heaven, this, this passage is so encouraging to me. Um, because I am so, I fall so far short in my own. God, this is so encouraging to me because I'm so far from perfect. I don't always pursue you. I don't always thank you. Sometimes I'm distracted by eight ball pool or, or whatever it is. Um, and I thank you that your grace covers that. I thank you that Jesus, you look at us and, and, and you cover our sins. And Father, you accept us right where we're at because of Jesus. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're not going to leave us where we're at, but that you're going to take us your way. Thank you. It's all because of what you've done. Thank you. I pray that everybody in this room can rest on you, Jesus, not live in guilt, not live in fear, not live in insecurity, but rest secure in you and then boldly pursue you and experience your joy, your peace, your comfort flourishing from you, even in the midst of really hard times. God, whatever action we need to take today, show us that. Let us take that action, whether it's just opening our hearts to you and being obedient to something. We've said, I'm not going to do that, but we know God wants us to. Whatever it is, do your work. We are available to you. We love you. Change this city for you. Bring many, many people to you. Grow this church. Please, grow this church of, of new believers, of of hurting believers, of people that need you. Grow the other gospel-centered churches in town. Please grow them. Help people to find those churches. Get plugged in with other believers. Be discipled and, and love you and adore you and then take that to others. God, let us see a revival of people falling in love with you and you being lifted up and glorified. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.